Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Angels to aliens, from ghost stories to angel encounters, Bigfoot sightings, alien abductions, near-death experiences, and more. Get advice and insight with Angels to Aliens. Heidi Hollis, The Outlander. Outlander. Welcome, welcome everybody to Angels to Aliens with me, Heidi Hollis, the Outlander here on Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. The question is, do you believe? Join me now where we discuss the most incredible stories on the planet from the paranormal to mysteries to horror to even heavenly interventions like near-death experiences. I'll also welcome you, the listener, to send over your personal stories of mysterious happenings that you'd like to share or get advice on. And we'll also be interviewing some of the most intriguing guests and researchers to experiencers, authors, and other cultural creatives. You will never be bored here, I promise. <laughs> and if you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate this show on iTunes. We're available also on your favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And you can always find us at Believe.com. That is B-L-E-A-V.com or at Believe Podcast. And know that you can find me. I'm all over. I mean, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just put a one at one Heidi Hollis and you will be able to find me. So I am going to hop on over to our fabulous guests. You guys, oh my goodness. So for over 20 years, Rosemary Thornton enjoyed a national reputation as an expert on old houses. She is the author of nine books. That's a lot of writing. And Rose has been featured on everything from PBS, History Detectives to BBC. And in 2016, her husband committed suicide and two years later, Rose was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. After a so-called routine medical procedure, Rose bled to death. And in heaven, she was told that if she agreed to return to earth, she'd be restored to wholeness. And medical tests confirmed that not only had the disease disappeared, but she was also healed of the crippling grief. Everybody, round of applause rosemary thornton how are you doing today rosemary hi i'm well how are you <laughs> cooking i am cooking <laughs> 106 degrees i'm just done oh my <laughs> my goodness but you have quite the history i i've written several books but you you wrote books like like really heavily detailed stuff on an absolutely different avenue versus what you're focused on now so i mean <laughs> it's true it's been quite a career change that's yeah. for sure my goodness i mean i started life uh i was a newspaper reporter you know several hundred years ago and then i found out you make more writing for magazines than you do newspapers and then at the time websites were actually paying more than magazines so it was quite an evolution and then 
I found a topic that was fascinating and I couldn't find a book on that topic. So I wrote the book that I wanted to read and thus began a career in, I guess, about 2002 that lasted about 18, well, lasted for many years, but I guess about 16, 17 years. It was a lot of fun. Wow. It sounds like it. I, I'm always blown away with uh, somebody who can, you know, really make a go at, at with their writing skills alone. I mean, at, well, journalistic alone, that's hard, but then to <laughs> yes. go and turn into books. Ooh, that's something. It was a fun run. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So, so tell us a, a bit about, uh, you know, how this all came about. I, I know you have a, a tragic story that goes along with uh, this enlightenment that occurred. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, for so much of my life, I've always envied people who have the happy, non-traumatic lives. <laughs> but I, I don't think they get the good stories. <laughs> but oh, yeah, my, uh, I married in two thousand seven. Met the what I thought was the love of my life in two thousand six, and. The first day of January 2007, we were wed, and then we had what I thought was a pretty good life for 10 years. He was an attorney. I was the writer. We uh, had a lot of commonalities, and I thought enjoyed one another's company. And then one day in April 2016, he came home for lunch, pulled some leftovers out of the fridge, sat down at the dining room table, ate some uh, chicken leftovers. And then he uh, he went out into the backyard with a Glock and put a bullet through his head. And I was out of town when this happened, and oh. I got the call. And uh, it was uh, it was devastating. I, I that doesn't begin to describe it. I'm your typical writer, way too sensitive to be wandering about about the earth. And uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was uh, it crushed me. And and. I had been a woman of great faith. I had prayed for my husband three times a day. I always liked to think of him surrounded by light and love. I prayed for his safety. And I, there's so many things that died in me when he killed himself. But one of them was my faith. One of them was believing in the goodness of God. I mean, how it, none of it made any sense on any level. So I became pretty messed up pretty fast. I was not able to spend the night at the house again after the funeral. You know, when the funeral was happening, you have lots of people and lots of commotion. But after everyone went back home, I left the house and I actually, I tried staying with different people and it, it boy, it didn't work out because I had these horrific nightmares, just unbelievably horrible, I, recurring nightmare that I came home to the house that I shared with my husband. And in the nightmare, I would see him uh, just putting that gun in his mouth. And I would run to him and try to stop him. And, mm. and, and I had this dream so many times and I could never, stop, I never got there in time. So that's kind of what I was dealing with. I actually had a couple of medical professionals tell the family that people don't recover from this level of trauma. And, and also my sensitivity was an issue. And they expressed the opinion that I would probably need some care for the rest of my life because wow. I was pretty torn up. And, and one of the things my husband had done, he left some final words that were unfortunately became 
uh, well publicized that his decision to end his life was my fault. And boy, did that get traction. Oh, my goodness. As I said, he was a lawyer. And that got so much traction that there was a time when I needed some legal advice. He had left some legal um, uh, time bombs that exploded and detonated. So there was a time I needed legal advice and I had to drive a hundred miles to find an attorney that would talk to me because I became known as the woman that killed that wonderful, you know, wonderful fellow. So it, it, it devastated me pretty thoroughly. And then after the marriage, I found out he had, Oh, let's just say violated the marriage covenant in many ways. So there were a lot of layers to the devastation and, And after a time, I even ended up, uh, for a short time, I lived out of my car because, you know, it was a nice car. It was a very comfortable car. And I, I, it felt very cocoonish. You know, I, I just couldn't get comfortable in a house. So a, a very dear friend, kind of on the periphery of my life, she intervened and she said, listen, you're getting a little too comfortable in that car. You need to come live with me. And I said, oh, I'm not living with anybody. I tried it. I wake up the household with nightmares. I walk in my sleep, et cetera. I'm not doing that. Yeah. But she said, how about just one night? <laughs> so I agreed one night. And then ultimately that actually evolved into four months that I stayed with my friend Tracy. Aww. And that was, I think that probably saved my life. And then after I left her house, another friend came into my life. Well, he'd been in my life, but he actually offered to share a house with me to help with expenses, which was a concern, but also to, uh, and this is why I needed to live with somebody. I had lost uh, about 30 or 40 pounds and I just couldn't eat. I mean, I literally couldn't swallow and I was living on insure and, you know, those, uh, those liquid nutrition drink things. So, so do you feel like you just kind of lost your direction? I mean, it, it, somebody goes and does like this ultimate level of betrayal. It, they leave your life willingly in, in the yes. most gosh awful way. And, and then they leave this horrific letter to be like, Oh, by the way, you did this. It's, yeah. I, I can't imagine that level of anxiety, depression. And, and it's like, it's like walking down the hallway in your home. You don't know, do I go, do I turn left to the bedroom is to the right? <laughs> you just lose all direction. It seems like, and I, I don't, and you're alone. So I, I, I really don't blame you for having that, that, that kind of complication going on. That's. Oh my, it was, it was a mess. And I think people, I mean, I love this man with my whole heart. In fact, I had two different people. I mean, he was a, he was a kind of big deal litigator. And they told me when the news came over the radio of what had happened, two different women friends told me they pulled over in their car and sobbed because they realized this might be the end of Rosemary. This might be, uh, this might finish her off, you know, that she can't survive this. I, I loved him. I had a website. I made it known that I loved him. I was so grateful to have found this man. So yeah, it uh, it blew up everything I ever thought about the world and love and light and goodness. And you know, it's interesting. I had three prayers I prayed every night, which, you know, it, it, the way these prayers unfolded uh, ultimately in the near-death experience was fascinating. But one of them was, I asked God every night, either let me die in my sleep or heal me. I can't go on like this. And then the other prayer was when I die, uh, spare me the life review. In my dreams, I had seen my husband kill himself with a gun to the head, which by the way is pretty awful. 
I had seen that in my dreams uh, too many times to count. Didn't want to see it on a life review. And then my third prayer right. was I couldn't, I couldn't take any more decisions. Uh, like I said, he left some legal landmines behind and, oh my goodness, there were so many decisions to make. And I, so that's what I asked God. I said, I can't, I can't manage these decisions anymore. So, so then I ended up buying, a, I, ran, I boy, I lived in a lot of houses. I just moved and moved and then I traveled a lot. I mean, I literally couldn't get comfortable anywhere, even as the months go by. So about two and a half years into this, I was living in a house that I had purchased and I thought, you know, this will give me some stability. And yet I was still dealing with the um, what I call the devilish temptation to end my own life, I just couldn't manage the pain anymore. I mean, I I, I was uh, having given I don't know a couple hundred, three hundred lectures on my architectural topics. I knew how to put on a performance, you know, because a lot of public speaking is putting on a persona and putting the face on and getting up and putting on a show. So when I went out in public, I put on the show. But at home, I would actually wrote in my journal days before my near-death experience, I didn't kill myself today. It was a win. So wow. I was really hurting. And, yeah. and I was trying to stay alive by, by nothing but willpower. So then uh, in August, I was diagnosed with stage two cervical cancer. And boy, did I rail it God over that. I said, you know, my prayers were pretty specific. I said, let me go in my sleep. So I, I was wow. very angry. Wow, man. It's like you did not follow directions. Jeez. <laughs> oh, My gosh. So I just thought, what's next? You know, what? what is next for Rosemary? How could this possibly get anywhere? So I went in for this minor medical procedure, a cervical biopsy, because I'd been diagnosed with stage two cancer by uh, a prior biopsy and a couple visual uh, physical exams. And they determined during one of the um, physicals that the cancer had advanced to a point where it had actually distorted the flesh. So the cervical biopsy done under general anesthesia was really to tell just how far, you know, how far has this gone exactly? So after the biopsy, um, I, they woke me up and it was a 20 minute procedure and yet it took them three hours to wake me up because I had been raised to believe in leaning on God to heal, and I had never used drugs very much. So I was, I told them I was a drug virgin, you know, and they just kind of dismissed it. So yeah, I woke up from that, my, my first surgery, woke up from it, and I told the RN I'm bleeding profusely. And well, I, I told I, her that I find three this, times. this fascinating. So you, you, you really relied, you had, you had a great amount of faith. And then this yes. tragedy happens and you lost a lot of faith. Lost most of it. And, and this is something so common with people. Yes. And, and I, I find that to be, I find that to be really sad. I think, uh, I think that that happens way too often. And that's the time where we're really supposed to rely more. And, and, and we just feel like, look, I was so good to you. I was so I dedicated to you. And then you allowed such a horrible thing to happen and, and it's just this very human uh, reaction to just turn our backs. And um, I always wonder what causes some people to really go towards their faith or really run from it. So, well, and I still, I, I would say I still had my faith. I felt like I had been thrown into an icy black sea in the middle of the Atlantic with waves churning. And I didn't know 
I didn't know where to begin to swim to shore. I didn't know where to begin to find even a flotation device. I mean, yeah. I, I just felt every, I just felt like I was sinking beneath the waves. And every time I would start to get some air, another wave would come. Boy, so. boy you are a writer, aren't you? Listen to those words. Just <laughs> painted this picture. I'm looking at the waves on the wall. I'm like, wow, where's the life raft? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty bad. And that's why it was such a blessing to have my friend live with me because he would literally sit by my bed at night and read me Bible verses uh, one after the other. And, and I asked him to, I said, I've got, my only way out of this is God. I mean, my only way out of this is love and light and God and hope and healing. I got, because everything on, on it, it, the math of this looks like I'm going down. So I'm at the hospital and I can't believe I'm going through this. And yet again, before the hospital experience, I asked God, just let me go, you know, let this end or, or make something wonderful happen. You know, I, mean, I was, I was yeah. a hot mess. And so, yeah, three times tell the RN that's awakened me in recovery. I don't look, I'm, I'm bleeding profusely. And she's, oh, honey, once you get home, you'll be fine. You know, it's interesting that women's concerns tend to be dismissed more readily uh, in hospital settings, oh, yeah. you know, the, I guess you didn't think I, I knew much about my body that, you know, that I'd had for 59 years. Of course. So they sent me home. And by the time I got home, it was, I made a mess in the car. I mean, I had lots of stuff stacked up in the car to sit on, still made a mess, went in the house, realized I'm bleeding profusely. I went and stood in my white tiled shower, walk-in shower, very nice shower. And I, I mean, I was standing there. I wasn't wearing anything. I'm just watching the blood come out of me and go right down the drain. I thought, well, at least I'm not making a mess of that white carpet outside, you know, because that's <laughs> the most important thing when you're dying is keeping oh, the house course. tidy. Oh, of course. Of <laughs> course. I'm going to get a good price for this. That's right. Jeez. Even if I'm dead, I don't want to leave a mess behind. <laughs> right, right. This place will pay the bills off and I'll have a nice funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeez. So I, uh, I remember thinking, standing in that white shower, I mean, the blood just was like a river coming out of me. And I was already starting to feel pretty woozy at this point. And I, I said to myself, I had a little chat with myself, and I said, you know, if you want to die, just sit down. It's not going to be long. This, this won't take long. And then by the time they, they find you, you know, you will have passed out and passed on. And I thought about it. I thought, is that really fair? Is that fair to everybody? You know, everyone's trying to keep me going two and a half years. All the people put so much energy into keeping me alive to just sit down and, and die in the shower stall. So well, I kind is, of debated. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? You have this selfless thought. Well, your ex-husband has the most selfish thought at, mm. at your moment of death. Isn't that, isn't that weird? That's a very interesting um, dichotomy. Yeah, I hadn't thought yeah. about that. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people had done an awful lot to keep me going. Okay. So um, I did. I, I managed to stumble out of the shower, wrapped myself in towels because I still didn't want to make a mess, and I went and stood in the foyer of my house, which is a non-permeable surface. Because again, when you're bleeding to death, the most important thing is not to mess up the white carpet, and. Uh, I told my friend, call 911, I'm dying. This, you know, and my friend, you know, you know, I usually expect people go, oh, you're fine. It's going to be okay. Just like, he was like, I'm on it. Wow. <laughs> and a woman friend in the house, she told me later, she said, I knew you were dying. She said, I didn't even know a human being could lose that much blood. I didn't even, you know, I mean, there's blood everywhere. So ambulance comes, takes me to a standalone ER, which was a mistake. And by standalone, I mean, they didn't have a, they didn't have a hospital connected to this ER. It was like a glorified uh, urgent care or something. And uh, they get me in there, and the RN uh, is attending to me, and I see this very young, just cute as a button, but very young doctor looking, look, examine me, and then she looks in my eyes, and I see, boy, she's afraid. 
And I thought, that's not a good sign in a doctor. <laughs> Where's the exit? Yeah. Wow. But then I had this RN about my age, probably late 50s, early 60s, and I grasped her hand laying on that gurney in this ER, and I said, promise me you're not going to let me die. And she said, oh, honey, we have all kinds of solutions for this. We're not going to let you die. And I was very comforted by that, very uh, appeased. So they examined me, and they made, uh, you know, the doctor made a mistake in whatever he cut. That RN made a mistake in sending me home, and the ER kind of finished me off. They, um they packed me with gauze, which we learned later kind of acted like a cork. It did not stop the bleeding. It just stopped me from messing up the gurney. Whoa. So uh, with that, uh, oh, and then they gave me a shot of Dilaudid, <gasps> which is a morphine derivative and actually contraindicated for plunging blood pressure. Oh, so I gosh. suspect with the uh, lack of blood in my body that that Dilaudid packed a really big punch. And it probably wasn't 30 seconds after they gave me that Dilaudid that I lost consciousness. And, you know, it's very close to my last words on earth being, man, that's some good stuff, you know? (laughs) (laughs) As you float. You left your body. I got (laughs) you. And then uh, that was kind of the last thing I knew. And then they left me in that room. They had put on a blood pressure cuff and... uh, Oh, what do you call it? One of the pulse socks things on your finger? Yes. So they had a blood pressure machine, one of those automated things that automatically inflates and deflates and monitors your blood pressure. And then my friend said, my friend who was with me by my side as I'm you know, now unconscious, he said he watched the blood pressure just go down, down, down. At one point, it hit 32 over 25, which oh. it turns out is really low. Just a bit. <laughs> just a bit just a bit. And he said, my eyes popped open and I tried to sit up on the gurney, which is pretty impressive at 32 over 25. And I reached up to heaven, talked to somebody only I could see. And then I plopped back down and then the blood pressure went to error. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's when I left for heaven. Meanwhile, I am having the time of my life. Literally. I, I mean, I was unconscious just a deep dreamless sleep at the moment of my death. And I woke up when I died and I woke up being catapulted out of that body. And I mean, catapulted. It was very dramatic. And you know, this sounds bizarre. And again, this is not in accord with my specific religion, tradition and background, but it was as though there was an elastic silvery strand from the crown of my head to the bottom of my heel. And somebody had reeled back on that like an archer's bow and hmm. popped it. And I went flinging out of that body like toast out of a toaster. It was wild. <laughs> so I wake up to this feeling of being popped out. And at the moment that my soul separated, I heard, <laughs> and this sounds again, bizarre. I heard like a ping or a boing or a pop. And I have since learned that that is not uncommon to hear a noise that goes wow. with this. So I was floating further and further away from my body. And, and somebody, several people say, did you see your body? And no, I did not. But I was in this blackness. I was floating in this perfect, perfect blackness. It was comfortable and comforting. It wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. It wasn't damp. It wasn't dry. It was perfect. And I felt actively loved within this blackness in which I'm floating. And my, one of my first thoughts was, oh my goodness, uh, the, I'm dying. I guess the doctors and nurses did their best, but I'm dying. And then being the writer, 
I said, actually, you're not dying. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Clarify. Because when, again, when you're dying, the most important thing is to correct your tense. Of course. And I heard myself voicing these words, and then I giggled because I cracked myself up. I thought that's pretty funny that here I am <laughs> having died from a I really like 20- you, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I've died from a 20-minute medical procedure that is the most unimportant, unconsequ- inconsequential event, and I've died from it. So anyway, yeah, I laughed. I laughed out loud when I said, actually, you're not dying. You're dead. And I heard myself giggle. And I thought, this is great. My macabre sense of humor goes with me. My intellect went with me. My weirdness goes with me. And even my goofy little giggle went with me. Oh, I love it. And I thought, okay, I'm not producing breath sounds. I don't believe I have vocal cords. I'm not even sure I have ears, but I am making the same sounds I made before. And I hear it. I hear it all. Oh, man, this is great. This is just great. And a Bible verse came to mind. It's, um, I kept thinking about the peace, uh, the peace. I, I mean, a lot of people talk about the love yeah. and, and I was blessed to have a mom that loved me unconditionally. And so that was such a blessing in my life. But I, I've always been very anxious about stuff. And I think that's part of the creative writer, smart cookie, you know, a little splash of Asperger's package is, you know, you're, you're always a little anxious. So experiencing this perfect peace was fantastic. Just, and I was grateful that there was so much peace. I was grateful to know what I looked like without the anxiety and the fears and the worries and the woes. So the, yeah, the Bible verse came to mind was the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I thought that's the peace that Paul was talking about. You can't explain it. You can't understand it. All you can do is experience it. And then I thought every Bible verse that I have in memory has come with me. I thought, that's great, because my brain is back there, bloodless and lifeless, and yet all those things are still with me. And there was this increasing awareness that everything we are goes with us. I mean, it, 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 and I guess I am kind of a, uh intellectual in some ways, and, and I just kept thinking about this experience intellectually and spiritually and emotionally and mentally and uh, the, across the whole spectrum, and I had the greatest mental acuity that I have ever known in my life, which was great. That's awesome. I I have to point out something, you know, I always tell people, it's like, do you think like the really rotten, low down, good for nothing guy that has the most awful attitude is suddenly going to be fully enlightened when he crosses over? (laughs) I I think he's still going to be a butthead and he's going to reject everything (laughs) that he sees and be a skeptic like this is, this is crap. This is, you know, I don't think a whole lot changes from our personalities crossing over. So um, I'm glad that you're pointing this out, that it's all there still. And and, and I think that's why this is quite the school that we're in, because, you know, if you're, if you're at this level and you refuse to grow here, you'll just probably be back. I mean, because you go into this abyss and, and you're still that same butthead. I mean, my goodness. It, it, of course, you have to be recycled. So I, I'm, 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 I'm thrilled that you're, you're mentioning all this. Oh, it was great. And just knowing that my giggle went with me was huge. And then still floating further and further away in this blackness, I felt the presence of a massive spiritual being. And he, she, don't know a, a gender, he, she was to my left and way taller than me, massive. And, and again, just exuded 
everything good you've ever imagined in your human experience times a billion. You know, light and joy and peace and happiness and goodness and just everything. And so I'm, I'm having a great time and it just got better because now I have somebody with me. You know, it's, it's, it's a party now. <laughs> and I, I look up to my left and it, this also fascinates me that I am turning my head to my left to see who has joined me. And I think, how am I turning to my left and how am I turning my head? I don't, I don't know because I, I guess I still have this form. And I do, I turn to my left and I say with literally a lilt in my voice, I said, and who are you? Because I think yeah, this is great. <laughs> I really was having a good time. And the voice said, and, and then again, it came with not just words, because I'm a wordsmith, been a writer 30 years. Mm -hmm. The message came with an infusion of knowing, of knowledge. And, and, but it came with words too. But the words were, you're the image and likeness. I'm the original. And I was like, whoa, that's First Genesis whoa. 27. I've spent my whole freaking <laughs> life studying that. And I remember thinking that would have been good information to have back there. But whatever, glad to hear it. And I mean, I was just thinking, this is so great. <laughs> I love this. And, oh, my. And so many people say, oh, you wanted to go back. You want, no, no, no. I'm still miffed about coming back. So I, I knew I didn't want to come back. I mean, I mean, there wasn't even any thought of it. I was just having such a good time. And then this went on for some time, this floating. And again, I don't know that I could say it went on for an hour or three can, weeks. Can I, can I ask you this being, how better can you describe what you were seeing? That's the thing. I can't, I was in this blackness and I can't say that I saw, I, it's like when somebody walks up behind you and you know, they're there and you're happy they're there and yeah. you know, it's a friend. It was um, massive and big and just full of good energy. And I know that sounds kind of nebulous. <laughs> and the voice that, what did the voice sound like? Very authoritative, very clear. Uh, in my opinion, it had a feminine quality to the voice. Hmm. but you know is that the um the filter of my perceptions i don't know but it was very motherly if i had to use one word to define this presence it would be motherly caring tender solicitous you know so it felt more female than male if you had it to? did it because it just felt like love and peace and calm the calm the calm it was just like the the love a mother would give her one week old baby, her tiny baby, her newborn yeah. to just cradle her. And, and, you know, in thinking about this floating, cause I was floating, I didn't know where I was going. I mean, I have been a type A control freak my whole life and I, I didn't even know where we were going, but I was like, okay, this is great. Now I wonder, maybe I was being carried by this spiritual being. And this felt I, like I God, know. like God to you. Or I don't know an angel or but the or I don't know the Holy Ghost the comment that you're the you're the image and likeness I'm the original, that's indicative of of God. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's I don't know I don't I don't have an answer for that. I wish I did. I don't. Okay. So the floating went on for a while, and then uh, this is I again I I I guess not being a typical person I didn't have a typical NDE, but it's almost like somebody took my batteries out for a time because the next thing I knew. I was in a white room and I was on my feet and something resembling feet. I, I was on my legs and I, 
in this beautiful white room and white, 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 luminescent, iridescent, perfect white room. And there was a door in the distance ahead of me. And having read NDE experience, I looked at that door and I knew that was the barrier. That was the point at which there'd be no return. And I knew that, and, and I was kind of like, you know, okay, everybody out of my way. I'm doing the door. We don't need to talk about this, you know, right. So I'm ready. And, and, you know, honestly, and this is no joke, people laugh at it, but I really felt like I had been granted uh, an early release for good behavior. I really did. I felt like I'd gotten off the super highway of life <laughs> fairly easy. And I had died peacefully in my sleep when I passed, you know, hadn't been my best day, but still. Heal me or let me go. And my other prayer was no life review. And there was no life review. And then my other prayer had been about the decision. So in this white room, and there are, again, not a traditional this is exactly how it unfolded. I saw like this filling this room, and the mist was so thick, and yet I tried to focus on a single droplet of the mist. It was so tiny and so fine. Rosemary, and I don't know what happened, but your mic is going in and out a little bit. <laughs> How's this? There we go. <laughs> ah shoot okay where do i need to back up to oh you're fine let's keep it going so you you're in this in room a, and you see this white mist and i see a white mist and i tried to focus on an individual droplet which i know in and of itself sounds nutty but uh again and now this wasn't the massive spiritual being but like an angel was with me or a spiritual being was with me and when i asked about wanting to see a droplet i was told your spiritual eyes are not developed yet, so you can't see it, but it's light. It's light falling all around you. And as I walked through it, it swirled around me. And I could see it swirling, like in this beautiful, harmonious dance. It moved around me and through me and over me. It just it was very dramatic. And I got to the door and uh, I paused. I don't know if it's a boo-boo or not, but I paused at that door and I asked, is this the divine will for my life? And before I could even finish the sentence, the answer was no, but. And I was like, all right, I'm on the butt. <laughs> I'll take whatever the butt is, I'll take it. The answer was no, but whichever you choose, if you choose to go forward or you choose to go back, you go with all of God's grace and mercy and blessings and care and love. There is not a wrong decision. And that was such a relief because I'd been faced with so many horrible decisions that were basically two bad outcomes, whichever I chose. So that told me, and it touched me then and it touches me now, that God heard the prayers of my heart that I couldn't bear any more decisions. So I was told there are no, there is not a wrong decision. And that just meant so much to me. So, and here's where it gets tricky is I, uh, I, was, I was like, all right, I'll take the door. <laughs> <laughs> and then as I was doing that, uh, I mean, I was, I was still approaching it and an image of that RN, I call it a vision. I know sometimes we give negative connotations to that word, but it was a vision of that RN who had kept me company as I laid on that gurney before I passed out. 
an image of her came to mind and she was sitting on a little metal stool in a hospital supply room, you know, surrounded by linens and, and such. And she had her head in her hands and she was sobbing uncontrollably. And I just watched this so I can observe her. And I heard her say through tears, I promised that woman I wasn't going to let her die. And I lost her. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. And then I kind of thought, well, you know, life's hard. She'll get over it. I need to go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, that's amazing. Then, yeah, but then. Selfless. Selfless to, through the end. Not to the end. <laughs> but through the end. And look, at, look at how much of you is still intact. And your yes, thoughts. Well, Huh. Yes. Well, then it got worse or better. I don't know on your perspective, but I felt her pain. I wasn't observing it. I felt it. Mm -hmm. And it was the same agonal grief I had known for two and a half years. It was a deep, uh, horrible pain that just goes right down to your soul. And I felt her pain in my essence or soul or consciousness, whatever you want to call it. And that's when I was now reaching for that door with my right hand, pretty interested by the fact that I'm right-handed in heaven as I am on earth. And I put, I, I'm still observing, still, yeah. hey, this is cool. Yeah, I love it. I literally put my hand back by my right side and I said, this is going to ruin that woman's day if I die. And in the blink of an eye, actually, I've said a, 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 millis, um, a fraction of a millisecond, I was back in that body. Mm. And the, the nurse, I think is the same nurse, was kind of leaning into my face and she said, what is your name? And I said, Rosemary. And she said, what year is it? And I said, 2018. And she said, where are you? And I said, a crummy excuse for an ER. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I really did. <laughs> At which point she said, I'll have you know this is an accredited facility. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, there's, there's a lot to this. I mean, I was, I, I bled to death. Yes. And, you know, the next, I mean, the next uh, morning at the hospital, because, of course, then they transported me to a hospital at a high rate of speed. But the next morning, doctor came in to talk to me and he said, we've done all kinds of blood work and you had a heart attack and, uh, and then your heart stopped. And you have, some, uh, you have some damage to your heart based on the elevated enzymes from the heart attack. And the short version is I, I have proof that I did indeed die. I mean, there's, there's no gray area here. And the fact is I was without a heartbeat for more than 10 minutes. And the thing is when somebody dies from bleeding to death, you can't even do CPR. I was just going to say, because there's you can't nothing to push that, around. Right. You cannot, it's, it's kind of one of those impossible things. It's like, right. it's, it's gone. What are they going to do? Push blood into a, a dead person. I mean, right. that's just impossible. It is. And so to be gone without any blood pressure, any heartbeat for more than 10 minutes, um, that's, I shared this story with an anesthesiologist who actually started crying when I told him the story about the nurse. And he said, you have no idea how grateful that nurse was when you responded to her questions. Because while maybe they could get your heartbeat back and get you going again, they didn't know what they were bringing back. So were they, were they, shocking you I, I mean what brought you back I don't know and because everyone's so scared of everything I don't know what they did mm. but when I was admitted to the hospital uh, normal healthy hematocrit is 13.2 uh, which is the red blood cell count and mine was 6.7 when I was admitted to that hospital so Goodness. and I think 6.4 is inconsistent with life so I was um, <laughs> I was in pretty bad shape and then uh 
and, and it actually was very gratifying that the doctors expected me to be a train wreck and that they were able yeah. to answer, you know, some specific questions. I mean, because <laughs> when they took me in for echocardiograms and heart tests and all this other crap, right. uh, I, as they're wheeling me down the hospital hallway, because I'm still in a gurney on 100% bed rest, I said, you know, the angel said if I agreed to come back, I'd be fine. We don't need to do any of these tests. And um, so you they did, still did get that, that, that part right there. Yes. So that the and this angelic being told you, okay, we're yes. gonna we're gonna give you the hookup. You're gonna get a new ride. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be just like new. You're gonna be just fine if you agree. Otherwise, you know, go ahead, go through the door. And and the door. What did you feel was on the other side of that? I knew that it was. Uh, I can't think of a better way to say it. But crossing the Rubicon, it was the point of no return. It was. What I think was on the door, because I, I, I hmm. you know, you hear people say if they come back from the dead, they feel like they're 50% in this world and 50% in that one. I did not. I felt like I was 95% in that world and 5% in this one. I felt like I could converse, converse more easily with the um, angels than I could with human beings. And I asked a million questions after I came back. And one of my questions was, why was the door shut? I've heard about open doors, borders, boundaries, gates, fences. What's this closed door business? Even the song Going Home. Mm -hmm. You know that song, Going Home, Going yes. Home. Old hymn, it talks about going through an open door. And what the angels told me in those hours and days after I returned from this experience, they said, um, your loved ones were on the other side of the door. And like my mama and they said, we knew if you saw them, <laughs> there was not going to be any discussion phase about going back, that you would not have returned. So they said, you were sent to heaven for healing. And that was the primary objective. And you were given the option of going on. Isn't but that, that um, something? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it was, it was quite a thing. And uh, I did talk to the angels a lot. And it was, I, I believe it was in that white room where I was told if I agreed to come back. I'd be returned to wholeness and, and not just the physical. And I don't want to diminish um, the wonderful restoration of physical health because ultimately tests showed that I was a hundred percent cancer free. I mean, they'd biopsied, you know, everything but my fingernails and they found <laughs> not anything anywhere. Um, but the real healing uh, was my soul. When I, when I got home from this, I was in the hospital for four days. When I got home, I opened my Bible and it fell to Psalms 23, where it says, he restoreth my soul. And it made me weep because that was the healing. No more. And this has been 18 or 19 months now. I guess it's longer than that. But I no longer have a desire to end my life. That's gone. That's off the table. <laughs> and, you know, I look back on my prayers, God, heal me or let me die. And I kind of got both. <laughs> you know? He followed the instructions, did he? Yeah. <laughs> I, got to, I got healed and I got to die. And I, I'm, I am mostly a little miffed about coming back, but I feel like um, I have a YouTube video that somebody did. Somebody heard my story and loved it. And I mean, that's had 42,000 views. I've had a lot of people who've lost a child to suicide or a, a spouse to suicide, and they want to know two things. One, how were you healed from the agonal grief? And two, what's it like in heaven? So it's, it's a, an experience that kind of touches on so many bases. And the, actually, the, um, 
the cervical cancer was caused by an STD that my husband had given me. And what I was told was that he didn't get the last word, you know? He didn't get to take me out. That this this was God saying, we're doing a U-turn on all this mess, you know? This yeah. is not how Rosemary's story ends with dying as a uh, ancillary cause of an STD that her husband gave her. So this it was all very more, dramatic. A better foundation than those houses you used to talk about. How about that? <laughs> hmm. It's been, and you know, and, and another interesting, fun thing, my buddy, his name is Milton. He was the one who had been in the ER that watched me, you know, reach up to heaven and then plop back down. He saw my blood pressure go to nothing. He, he was there. Yeah. Well, when they got the doctor in the room to revive me or resuscitate or whatever, he got shooed out into the hallway. Well, while he was out, and this man, by the way, was an avowed atheist. He actually subscribed to a magazine called American Atheist and was Get very proud. Come on. Wow. He really did. So he's standing in the hallway and he's thinking, oh, man, you know, I just I just saw her die and all that. And he said, this is so cool. This, this might be my favorite part. He <laughs> said an angel came to him and said, it's okay. We just need her for a few minutes. We're bringing her back. <laughs> what? Hold on. Hold on. He saw them appear in the hallway? No, he felt them. He did not see it. He said it was some, because, I mean, he had been taking care of me for two years. He had been very dutiful. I mean, it was uh, a platonic relationship. I certainly yeah. wasn't ready for anything else. Right. But he had been like a mother to me, literally, and had wow. taken such sweet care of me. And he said it was like, a blanket of, of just comfort had been wrapped around him and oh, something I very, goosebumps. That's awesome. and something very tender said, it's okay. We just need her for a few minutes. She's coming back. So when he heard that in this part, oh my gosh, he heard that yeah. he goes out in the lobby to get a soda. I said, wait a second. I wasn't there <laughs> for a strep throat test. You just saw me bleed to death and die. You saw the blood everywhere, the blood all over me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He goes, well, the angels were pretty clear. They said you'd be back. And I was really thirsty. It'd been a long day. So, so wow. then after he comes back into the, uh, he gets his soda, <laughs> comes back and leans against the hallway there, waiting for them to open the door and tell him something. And he said the door opened four times to that little cubicle. And each time uh, a medical worker appeared with an armful of linens, literally dripping in blood literally dripping and I said okay that that must have gotten you that must have gotten you and that's when I realized the gauze they had put in me was just like a cork I, yeah. I think it was a uterine bleed who knows but right. it didn't stop the bleeding it just stopped them from seeing it so yeah four times that happened and I said okay that that got you right and so well the angels were pretty clear they said you'd be back so wow. he was unaffected by this and then <laughs> but you know what's interesting the the angels knew your decision they knew what it would be if they told oh, them that man that's a really good point heidi i hadn't even thought about that yeah they knew they knew because they, they knew how ending. selfless you were no they <laughs> they knew how selfless you were this is why you lived to begin with to make that phone call they they knew that you were selfless in that sense and they knew if they showed you that nurse there's no oh, way man. that you were going to walk through that door yeah, the nurse got me. The nurse got and people said, Oh, did you find out if she was crying? Well, it wasn't it wasn't a contemporary event. That nurse was at the side of my gurney trying to bring me back to life. Yeah. I believe it was a potential future vision 
Mm. So, and you know, an interesting um, long term here. I mean, this has been well September 2018. Milton subsequently became the guy that would call me and share with me the Bible verses he just discovered, and he says, "You should hear this one. This one really applies." You are kidding so me right now. <laughs> oh <my laughs> well, gosh. he's he's become some Bible of thumper, a spiritual counselor. Yes, he he's. What? I think Bible thumper is kind of a negative connotation. He's just right, very. Right. He's very attuned to the things of spirit. He became he really inspired. Is. That's better. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Wow. So I love this. I love this. Oh, God. So, you know, and then the other thing that happened is after I came back from this, I realized my life had been a mess. I had been a mess. So I sold everything I owned. I donated all my research materials to a college library. I sold my car that I had waited two months to get. It was a special order Camry that came with white leather. <laughs> I sold off everything and moved a thousand miles to, away to St. Louis. Wow. Okay. What was in St. Louis? What was the inspiration on that? Well, I have a daughter here and I had lived here in the nineties and it's just very peaceful. Um, I'm actually in a suburb. Um, I'm actually in uh, Illinois, which is kind of some of the suburbs here in Illinois are a, kind of a bedroom community of St. Louis, but it's an agricultural area and it's, very, very, very beautiful. And I just love looking at the corn grow and people laugh at that, but look, I love thinking about corn. I mean, it starts off in a seed, somebody traipses or trounces it into the dirt and then it grows into something that gives life and vitality and joy. I, I just love watching things grow. <laughs> I really do. God's so, creations. There you go. Yeah. So it's been, um, I'm not sure why I came back. Uh, you know, I've still had my ups and downs. I still have moments when I'm afraid and still have some anxiety, but I don't go to bed for three days when the anxiety hits. I don't wish I was dead. I say, okay, God, you brought me back. This is on you. What, what, what good thing's going to happen today? <laughs> yeah. And now do you still have this, you said after this whole event, do you have a close tie with angelic beings? You, do you communicate still? Oh, I was so miffed that I felt like that that spot, that portal between me and the angels grew smaller. But yes, I still I still feel the connection, but it's not as effortless as it was. It takes me, you know what I do is I think about that white room. I think about the peace and being enveloped in those sparkles of light and how they danced around me. And I think about that and then I feel peaceful and then I can hear direction as to what to do. So it's not as intense as it was, but I think it's still um, uh, reachable, achievable. Do, do you think that because you, you went through the veil, and, and I often find that children, they're so fresh here that the veil is thinner for them, I mean, because they're more recently arrived. So do you think that was part of it? Or do you think they specially allowed you this ability to communicate with them? I think it was um, kind of a rescue mission because I did ask the angels what what was all this about and why am I back and what the angels told me. And these were in the early days. I mean, I came home from this experience. They kicked me out of the hospital faster than I wanted to come home because hmm. I wasn't, you know, they bring you food three times a day in a hospital and they're really nice to you. <laughs> I did not want to leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they let you fill out these these menu things, and they say, "Okay, now, do you want chicken 
Gordon Blue or a hamburger for dinner. Right, right. So like, I really like it. But sweet. then on the, I don't know if it was the fourth or fifth morning, this doctor that I really like came and sat by my bedside and said, Miss, uh, he said, Rosemary, I understand you don't want to go home. And I said, no, I don't. I want to stay here another couple of days. You know, this could still go off the rails, buddy. And he said, <laughs> he said um, he said, your blood cell or your uh, white and red blood cell count is so catastrophically low that now you're at risk of developing MRSA and staph infections. He said, so you're going to be safer at home. So I was like, all right, I'm out of here. And then when I had been admitted that account, I think I said it was a 6.5 or 6.7, something like that. 10 days later, um, I was back at the doctor and they did blood work and the doctor reviewing the blood work with me. This is 10 days after I'm out of the hospital. They said, I see there's a mistake on your blood work. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, it's perfect. It's back to normal. They said it, it typically takes two to three months to regenerate. You know, your bone marrow produces red and white blood cells. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, the angel said they just needed a few days. That's <laughs> what they told me. Oh. <laughs> so. Wow. So yeah, I was, I mean, I was restored to life after 10 minutes. It's widely believed after three minutes with no oxygen, your brain is mush. Yeah. So I was restored after 10 minutes. Also, I talked to an ER nurse that said they, they can bring back people who have bled to death, but typically the damage to their internal organs is so great that they lose them again. Right. Um, and uh, she, in fact, this one nurse told me, sorry, they brought back a 24 year old man who had bled to death. And 24, I think it was 24, 36 hours later, he died again because his heart was so messed up. Mm. So um, that was that was pretty impressive to be restored to full functionality. Truly. Um, so and to, then to have the blood numbers come back in 10 days. The, the doctor's yeah. so funny. She put her papers down and she said, I don't know what to make of you. And I said, it's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, look, I got the 411 on this one. I mean, <laughs> they told me everything was going to be fine. So now that you're at the stage that you are, and it, I, I've had some near death as well. And it's like, I, I, I look at the world quite differently. And, oh, and, yeah. and it was really difficult to want to stay here because yes. my goodness, the other side is just, it's, it's wonderful. So I, 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 I don't know how to translate that to people uh, and, and to, to get that uh, across. So what do you do and what, what do you feel is your goal and your mission in, in all of this? That, those are great questions. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I think the mission is to share the story because this, there's so much pain and suffering and, Suicide survivors, which is what we're known as, people who've lost a loved one to suicide, suffer burdens and pain and isolation or social pariahs. The suffering is beyond what anyone could ever imagine. I mean, it's, it's not just the death of a husband. It's a betrayal. And so I don't really have an easy answer. I, I hope my hope and prayer is that my story can be an encouragement to others that whether you're hurting physically or emotionally, that there is healing possible. You don't have to bleed to death and die. You can be healed without going through that dramatic experience. And I do believe that we're all surrounded by angels all the time. And I think the thing to do is to find a way to crawl up out of that black hole, that dark place, and and figure out how to connect with those angels. Because Days after my husband did this horrible thing, my eldest daughter wrote me a note and she said, it is only love and light that will save you. If you think about anything but love and light, 
you probably won't survive. And I think that's really good advice. So as to my goal or purpose, I don't have a well-defined answer. I'm in the process of writing a manuscript, which I hope to have done in a couple months. Fortunately, this one doesn't require, you know, three years of research into dusty <laughs> old books. But I, I don't know. And again, my daily prayer is, um, listen, I'm here on your time now. So, you know, you need to speak up and tell me what I'm supposed to do. So... Yeah. And that fear of death is uh, a bit gone, I would take it. <laughs> well, at first I wanted to die, but yeah, it's, it's funny how the human mind is. You either, you either have a desire to die or a terror of death, a dread of death. And, and now I'm kind of back in the middle, like, all right, I know I'm here on some specific terms under a spiritual contract. I know that suicide violates the spiritual contract so that I get it. That's not an option anymore. But no, I'm not afraid of death. In fact, the angels told me my new expiration date is uh, 20 years out. So that's good information to have for budgeting. Oh, yeah. Stretch that budget <laughs> and that fancy Camry should be <laughs> helpful. Yeah, yeah. It's like, my goodness. Well, Rosemary Thornton, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing this. I think it'll be healing for a lot of people. A lot of people needed to, uh, to take this in for what it is and, um, you know, God can heal. And uh, like you said, you don't have to lose your faith over something so tragic or or even a, even a bit. And, and and to have had the opportunity to get one-on-one healing, I mean, just a little spoiled there, Rosemary, but um, (laughs) I think it's a, it's a great lesson for us all. So I really, I really want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing it. So, so graciously and, and, and so descriptive. I, I love it. Oh, well, you're very welcome. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity, really and truly. Yeah, I can't wait till that book comes out because I'm going to be the first one to say, hey, get back here. <laughs> Let's oh, talk yeah, some I've, more. <laughs> I've got a title. The title will be Remembering the Light, How Dying Saved My Life. Love it. Well, my goodness. Well, guys, we've come to the bottom of, a, of another fantastic show. Remember, you can catch me here on Angels to Aliens with me, Heidi Hollis, the Outlander on Believe, and be sure to check out HeidiHollis.com. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. And we're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Illuminary, and TuneIn. And uh, remember, go to BLEAV.com or at Believe Podcasts and check out the social reach outs at one Heidi Hollis. And Remember, you can always catch me here every week. And remember, always, if it's weird, we're here. Goodbye to everybody. Angels to aliens. From ghost stories to angel encounters. Bigfoot sightings. Alien abduction. Near-death experiences. And more. Get advice and insight with Angels to Aliens. With Heidi Hollis. The Outlander. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.